Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, loving others. Let's go and read this, these verses and then get into it a little bit more here. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the first phrase in this passage, in most translations, reads, Oh, no one anything or be indebted to no one except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law right essentially it says don't owe anyone anything right so now there may be some of you here who don't have any debts who are who don't owe anything to anyone no home car student, medical payment, credit card, or other loans. Nothing. You don't have any debts at all. But for the vast majority of Christians in the U.S. and even in other parts of the world, we have some form of debt. Something. Maybe just the mortgage, maybe just a car payment, maybe student loan, maybe something else, but we have some form of debt. And we owe something to someone. So the question is, what do we do then with Romans chapter 13, verse 8? For those who have attended our biblical money management seminar here, or have heard it expressed from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, you know that we hold to certain guiding biblical principles regarding material resources and debt. And the first and the most important point that I would make about it is this. As children of God, who willingly serve and obey him, we manage rather than own the material resources in our possession. We manage rather than own the material resources in our possession. We are stewards of God, not the owners of this resource. Okay? First and most important principle. The second principle is we avoid materialism and consumerism that drives us to acquire and use far more than we need. 
We are driven by materialism or consumerism, by the things of the world, the messages that come to us, to acquire or to consume far more than we need, and we don't want to do that. Third principle, we live within our means and do not overextend or spend more than we have. Right? Number four, we seek to be content with what we have even as we learn, we work diligently, and we wisely invest the talents the Lord has placed in our hands so as to have it grow and multiply. We're looking for increase. We're looking for increase. But we do it with contentment with what we have. We don't say, oh, I have to have more. I've got this much, I, I, I must do this. Right? We don't do that. We live with contentment even as we look for the increase. Fifth, we give generously as the Lord leads us to. Giving and receiving have to go together. If we don't give, we don't receive. If we don't receive, we don't give. There's this correlation between them. But the principle that applies for us is that in command of what the Lord has given us and in willing obedience to him, we say we give generously all that the Lord has given to us. We, again, principle of stewardship. He says, direct this to this person, we give. Direct this to here, we give. We do it willingly, cheerfully, and we do it with the leading of the Lord. And the sixth point that I want to make about this guiding principle and what would be you know, directing our thinking in this matter is this. We make every effort to avoid debt, especially bad debt. Things like credit card balances, right? One of the worst things that you can do. So we make every effort to avoid debt, especially bad debt, and we take on debt only as we need to, and we make every effort to pay it off as quickly as we can. Okay, so these are the principles that I would lay out for you. And that last point is what I want to highlight in terms of Romans chapter 13, verse just as we dug deeper to understand what Paul meant when he made the statement about submitting to all governing authorities, Paul here is not making a blanket statement that a child of God can never take a loan. That's not the statement he's actually making. In fact, there are a number of scriptures that refer to loans and interest and borrowing and lending, and there are legitimate needs and there may be emergency needs, or there may be some extenuating circumstance where you have to take a loan, where, where you need to take a loan. So the best way that we can understand Romans chapter 13, verse 8, is as it is rendered in the New International Version, that translation, which is what I read. Right? So you, may, be, you may, have, may have been following along in a different translation, which says, oh, nothing to anyone. But the version that I was reading from New International Version, it actually reads, let no debt remain outstanding. Or, as the Living Bible paraphrase puts it, pay all your debts. The point is, don't use debt or margin loans or leverage or as a means of trying to make a quick buck. Don't try to use debt for any other reason than for managing your resources carefully and appropriately. And 
if you're managing material resources with godliness and contentment, then the question is not whether you have debt, but rather how diligently you are clearing that debt. That you would be faithful to make your payments, that you would be faithful to clear it, that you're saying, I will not remain a servant to the borrower, to the lender, right? I will do everything that I can to pay off this debt. I will be diligent to manage my finances and to do this in such a way that I can eliminate the debt that I had to take. Right? So that's the principle, that's the point that I want to make. And this, I'm glad to discuss this further in our sermon discussion this Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. You know, ask any kind of question that you want about it. But the point that I want to make to you is that we would not be saying, well, if somebody is in debt, then they're in sin. But rather we would say, what is it that they, what is the mindset that they're going with? What is the worldview? Are they applying biblical principles about that debt? Right? Are they living in these ways that I've laid out. Now, as I've mentioned before, and as we'll see when we get into Romans 14, if you are convicted and led by the Lord to not take any debt at all, right? you feel convicted that you should not take any debt at all, by all means, do, obey the Lord. right? Do that. Be faithful to that call that the Lord has given you. I'm not saying at all that you should you know, do that, not do that. Right? If the Lord has said to you, don't take debt, don't take debt. That's fine. You know, move in that way. The contrast that Paul is drawing in this passage, his primary focus is not even on this point of other debt. His primary point here is to make this contrast that even though we should not let any material debt remain outstanding, remember we read in Romans chapter 13, verse 7, give to everyone what you owe them, Right? That's a debt. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So he's saying, if you have something you owe somebody, give it to them, pay it down, you know, get, take care of these outstanding debts and so on. But the contrast he's saying, drawing here is, even though we pay down or pay off or look to get rid of any outstanding debt, we can never think that we can pay off the debt of love. That's the important point he's trying to make. You will always be owing love. And we don't often think of it that way. We say, well, we, we love or we don't love. We give love or we hold back love. But we don't often think about the Bible saying to us, you owe love. You know, if you're being diligent to pay down your other debts, guess what? You have this debt and you've got to be diligent to pay pay that debt, but guess what? You will never pay it off. You will always owe love to somebody else. You will always owe love to others. That's the contrast he's trying to make. That's the contrast or the point that he's emphasizing here. We cannot get rid of this debt. Right? So we must love others at all times. And in loving others, we fulfill the law of God. In loving others, we fulfill the love of God. Here's why. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, they were trying to tempt Jesus or, or trick him or trap him and do something, you know, to find him at fault. But they asked him a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is what Paul has in mind when he says love is the fulfillment of the law. Right? The greatest command, the summary of the law of God is to love God and to love others. Very simple statements. Very direct statements. If you are a child of God, the law of God that applies to you is summarized in this way. Love God, love others. Right? When we don't commit adultery, we don't kill, we don't steal, we don't covet, and we don't become envious, we don't harm ourselves and others. Killing and stealing have external and internal consequences. Covetousness and envy that is not expressed outwardly may not have obvious ex eternal, or, or pardon me, may not have obvious external consequences, but they certainly have internal consequences. So the Lord is telling us, don't do these things, stay away from these things, don't, don't move in these ways. The summary of the commands are, is that you love others because when we don't love others, we hurt ourselves and we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we love others, we fulfill the greatest commandment, we fulfill the law. Right? If you're looking to say, I don't know what God's will for me is, and I don't know what I should do, love others. When you love others, you fulfill the law. In loving others, you will know how the Lord is leading, guiding, and directing. Michael Bird writes in his Romans commentary, when Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10 is taken seriously, it challenges our assumptions about love. We are forced away from culturally dominant notions of sentiment and infatuation into the realm of mutuality, commitment, and community. In Romans, we see that love is a virtue. We saw this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and in chapter 12, verse 9. We see that it is a duty. That's in chapter 12, verse 10. And it is a debt. That's what we just read in Romans chapter 13, verse 10. So we make a commitment to love others. And we do so, we love others with a sense of urgency because we understand the times that we're living in. You see, we, in loving others, we understand the present time. If the night was nearly over and the day was almost here 2,000 years ago, when Paul wrote this, he says, the night is almost over, the day is almost here. And if the night was all, nearly over and the day was almost here 2,000 years ago, then we're certainly closer to the full light of the Son of God today than the Apostle Paul was in his day. We are certainly closer to that, to the fullness of that day. But the day and night imagery that is used in the Bible, it's very common in the Bible, it's referring to the ushering in, that daylight, that day, the coming of the day, is, uh, is speaking about the ushering in of the kingdom of God. Right? And night is 
referring to or is used to speak about the evil of the present day, of the age, of the present age, or of the world as such, where there is sin and the fallenness of men. And we are living in an overlapping period of darkness and light because the work of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit have already introduced into history, into time, the day of the Lord, the kingdom of God. But the day of the Lord is not fully come. That will happen at Jesus' second coming. Right? So the Lord has promised all of these things, created all of that with the fall of man. Everything went into darkness. And then the Lord working through the people, working through his chosen ones, brought into the world Jesus himself, that those before Jesus would be saved because they believed in the one who was to come, and those after Jesus will be saved because they believe in the one who has come. But in that period here that we live in, in that overlap, we are seeing the effect of darkness, but we're seeing what the light will do. And we are ever changed, transformed into glory, into that light, walking in that light. And one day, one day, maybe it's very soon, maybe not, I don't know, but one day that will come into that fullness. And the brightness of that full day, brighter than the noonday sun, will be when the Lord returns in all his glory. That's the promise that we, ha we have, and that's what we understand. So in the meantime, in the meantime, while we're living in this overlapping period like this, we must realize, we must, we must be conscious of the passing nature of this world and our life in it. We must recognize the signs of the times. However, we don't become alarmist. We're not, oh, you know, everything is a mess, you know. We don't become agitated. We don't become overwhelmed by sin, suffering, and death. We don't become afraid of what might happen. And we don't constantly decry the darkness. Oh, what a terrible thing. People are doing these things. I mean, that's not the way we're to live in. We understand the times. We see what is going on around us. We are conscious of and very aware. But we are not living in these ways. We're not living in that kind of agitation. Instead, we invest in and we build our lives on eternal things. The truth of God, the love of God, the righteousness of God. We, and doing all of that with the joy of the Lord that strengthens us. And the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds, which keeps us calm and at rest. When everything around us is going haywire, when everything around us is falling apart, when the COVID you know, is resurging all over and there's more people and cases, in the middle of it all, we need the joy of the Lord to be our strength and the peace of the Lord to let us be calm and rest and to say, oh Lord God, I trust you. Not I trust in the outcome. Not I trust you if you heal me. Not I trust you if you will answer my prayer. I trust you. Whether you throw me, king, into the furnace, whether we die or we live, we will trust God. We will trust God. I don't, it does not matter to me what the outcome will be. I trust God. I trust him to give me the outcomes. I trust him to do what is right. But no matter what, I trust God. And when we do that, in the short time that we have on earth, 
Bible says 70, 80, whatever years, no more, great, wonderful. But the short time that we have on earth, we love others as God loves them. To see them also building their lives on eternal things. Not on the things of this world. Not on the temporal things. We say, oh God, I want to love these people so that they too can build their lives for eternal things. And so in light of Jesus' impending return, we get serious about paying off every other debt except the debt of love. We pay off all the other debts and we continue to pay down our debt of love. If there is that love that we owe, we should not come to the end of our days and say, oh, I barely made a dent in it. We need to come to the end of our days and say, I, I paid down that debt. There was an active, diligent action to say, I owe love, I'm going to pay love. I'm going to give to those that I owe what I owe them. Because that's what I owe them. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to be responsible about this. And we put on the armor of light that equips us to live victoriously in the darkness. That's what Paul is saying. He says, there's darkness. Don't worry about the darkness. Put on the armor of light. Because when you put on the armor of light, you can live in the darkness. If you have the light, you don't, you're not concerned about the dark. You have the armor of light. Which brings us to this point of application. We respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by not gratifying the desires of the flesh. Paul is reminding us that because of this ephemeral, temporary nature of life on earth, he says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is reinforcing the known will of God. We talked about this some weeks ago. When we say, what is the will of God? Well, some things we have to know and derive and understand from the principles of the word of God. And we say, who should I marry? Where should I go? What job should I take? Even though that's not explicitly called out in the Bible, I apply the biblical principles to make those decisions. But some things are very clearly given. Right? Some things are very clearly stated. This is the will of God. Don't do this. Right? And that's what Paul is reinforcing here. He is reinforcing those things that we, are, we know to be the will of God. What we encountered in Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, and in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 13, to not be drunk, not be immoral, not be debauched, not, not live in dissension, not be jealous. Instead, as we clothe ourselves with the robes of righteousness of God, as we put on the garments of praise, as Colossians 3.12 tells us, as we clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, as we deliberately put on the Lord Jesus, 
and we are empowered by Jesus to be transformed into his image, as our minds are renewed, then we begin to desire what the Lord Jesus desires. We begin to see things as the Lord sees it. We no longer desire the things of the flesh and of this world. As Douglas Moo puts it, when we clothe ourselves with Jesus, it is to consciously embrace him in such a way that his character is manifested in all that we do and say. That's what it means, put on Christ. That his character would be manifest in us. That people would look at us and say, I no longer see you, I see Jesus. What happened to Mike? What happened to Jim? What, what happened to them? I don't see them, I see Jesus. That's what we need to have as our reality. That we would put on Christ in such a way that the world would see the character of Christ manifest in what we say and what we do. So here's the practical application for us. Gratifying the desires of God leads to contentment and peace of mind. Gratifying a desire of the flesh only feeds the desire and does not satiate it. It does not satisfy. If you, sat, if you indulge the flesh, you know this for a fact, right? Somebody says something, does something, and you want to say something back. And you say it. Does it stop? You don't want to stop there. You want to say something more. You want to make your point clear. You want to be agreed to. Agreed with. Or you indulge in something. You do a little bit of something. Does it satisfy? Does it stop there? No. And when we do that, when we see that the flesh wants more, when we go against what the Lord has said and against our conscience, we start to stifle and suppress the voice of the Lord and instead listen to the voice of the flesh. The more we indulge the flesh, the more we listen to the voice of the flesh. We become used to, we get more used to the voice of the flesh than the voice of the Lord. We were talking just recently about how do you discern the voice of God? Well, if we're indulging the flesh and not giving an opportunity to go after the things of God, we won't get used to hearing the voice of God. We are used to hearing the voice of the flesh. And so the more we pay attention to the flesh, the more we listen to that, the more attuned we become to that, and the less attuned we are to the voice of God. We don't know what it sounds like. Now when God speaks, we're not sure. We're not clear. We're not, I, don't, I think God told me, I'm not sure. Why? Because we're not used to hearing his voice. And so we say, oh Lord God, as I'm used to hearing your voice, and as I put the voice of the flesh aside, as I tune out the voice of the flesh. That's what allows me to stay in you. As one commentator put it, it is always easier to sin the second time. Right? The first time you want to sin, your conscience bothers you, you know that the Lord is saying something. You know, it's like, you know, there's something that wells up within you, right? The Holy Spirit is holding you, pulling you, restraining you. And then you fight that and you go and sin. Oh, the second time it's much easier. Right? The second time you want to sin in that same sin, it's much easier. The third time, it's much easier than, it's more easier than that. Fourth and fifth time, you say, ah, you know, this is who I am. Over time, we just get used to it. 
Paul writes often about fleeing from something, from sexual immorality, anything that corrupts God-ordained relationships and the debt and the, what we owe to another person. Sexual immorality is where we have not loved others with the debt of love. We have loved others selfishly in the flesh. We have done something. Sexual immorality is where we have not, we have corrupted the relationship that God meant and we have gone into and corrupted that pure, unselfish, sincere love of God that we owe others. When Paul says in first, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul then later on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, or earlier there, he says, flee from idolatry. What is that? Anything that will capture our hearts, anything that will occupy our time, anything that leads us to fervently desire it and to worship it. Maybe a hobby, maybe something else, maybe some pursuit, something that just, oh, it just grabs us. And we idolize it, that, that activity, that person, whatever. We worship it. We, don't, we may not say that. You know, we don't have a shrine in our house to that. But we are doing it in our actions, in our time, in our money, what we spend. That's our pursuit. So he says, flee from idolatry. And then he says, flee from the desires of youth. What is that? Anything that immaturity, the peers and culture. You know, when you get older, it's like, who cares what others think? But when you're young, you're like, oh, I care very much what everybody else thinks, how they dress, what they do, what they, what they, where they go, how they are doing things. So he says, flee from the, the lusts of youth, from the things that can come at that stage of your life, where you may be immature, where peers and culture and untamed desires, you don't know what to do with these desires. Your hormones are raging. Everything is going wild. And you don't know what to do with these things. He says, flee from these things. And instead, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, he says this, run, run, run to or pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. What is it that you're prone to desire in the flesh that you need to flee from? What is it that you see in Christ Jesus that you need to run to? This morning our challenge is very simple. Always is. The word of God is never complicated. Very simple. It says don't gratify the nature, the sinful nature. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Love others. Loving others becomes very difficult if we're pursuing selfish gain, if we're pursuing selfish desires, if we're going after what we, our pleasures, our wants. Loving others as the Lord loves them, seeing others as the Lord sees them, serving others as the Lord served us becomes very difficult if we're going after ourselves. It is to prefer others above ourselves. And again, I say this every time, or many times, I say this to myself. It is so much easier to just do what I want, to say what I think, to have my own way, to love others, and to prefer others, and to be patient, and to be kind, and enduring, and gentle, and righteous, and godly. Oh, God, this is tough. 
What's the option? You owe the debt of love. We have no options. We've got to pay that debt of love. All our days, when the Lord has been faithful to us, we would say, Lord God, I want to be faithful to pay the debt of love, to love others. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that your word is so good to us, so loving, so caring for us. Lord, these commands, they're not to burden us, they are to give us life. They are to set us free. They are to release us from ourselves and to bring us into great joy, to great peace, to great, Lord, blessing. So grant us grace, Father. Grant us grace that we may live in this way for you alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.